For this morning, my name is Josh, and I'm a stonemason. And so is my best mate, Cleopas. It was the start of the week, and we were on our way from Jerusalem to a new job in a little village called Emmaus, just down the road. We had not worked as masons for some time, but it felt like it was time to get back to it. We chatted and walked, as you do. See, the previous Thursday, our rabbi had been arrested, and we had heard that they were looking to round all of us up who had followed him as well. We'd gone to ground to avoid the temple guards and the soldiers. Pretty scary time. We weren't criminals or rebels, we were a rabbi's disciples. But oddly, they seemed threatened by us. Friday was a pretty strange day. We knew that something big was going on, but we weren't quite sure what. We were afraid for Jesus, who'd been arrested the night before. So we prayed for him as we'd never prayed before. And in the afternoon, it got really dark, like there was an eclipse of the sun going on. But being Passover, it's a full moon, you can't have an eclipse. We wondered if the day of the Lord had arrived, that the end of the world had finally come. The prophet Joel had foreseen that just before that day the sun would go dark. So for us, it was equal parts frightening and exciting, imagining what might be happening, but we stayed hidden. We heard that later in the afternoon there were dead people who'd come up from the grave and were wandering around, which added to the excitement, that feeling that maybe the resurrection of the dead is actually happening, and it's happening today. But then nothing else happened. It was like a damp firework being lit. It just sort of spluttered in a few sparks, but it, it never really went off. It was an anticlimax. It wasn't until Saturday that Cleopas and I heard that Jesus had been crucified the previous afternoon. I felt like I had been crushed in an avalanche. It was overwhelming. It was utterly deflating. We loved that guy and we had left everything we had and everyone we knew to follow him. He was amazing. It's like a death in the family. What we'd feared on that Thursday night when he'd been arrested had come to pass. And it all happened so fast. It was the end of what had been an amazing ride to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. Well, first thing Monday morning, we met some of the others. And apparently some of the women of our company had gone down to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body. And it was empty. Also, Pete had gone down and he confirmed there was no, Jesus wasn't there. There was talk of angels and stuff, but I don't know, none of it really made sense to me. You see, if the resurrection of the dead had happened, there would be thousands of dead people floating around. But they just weren't. Maybe someone had taken the body, I don't know quite how you'd do that with an armed guard out front, I'm not sure, but anyway. So Cleopas and I 
got talking. And the question that we were talking about was, was where to from now, for now, for us? His mum had been at the crucifixion. She had seen Jesus die, having a spear shoved in his side. She knew he was dead, and we believed her. Cleopas and I decided, sadly, look, we needed to move on. There was this job in Emmaus, this little town down the road, building a stone barn. We could be there in a few hours, so we set off mid-afternoon. It would keep us bed and housed and busy for the next few months while we decided what we were going to do next. We chatted to Peter, he was a stonemason as well, to see if he wanted to come too, but he was really distracted. He was trying to work out what this... Um, empty tomb meant. So he fobbed us off. Yeah, he was nice about it, but he wasn't coming. Once we were on the road, we got to talking about all the things that we had experienced in the last few years. The amazing things that we had seen Jesus to do. The amazing things that he had taught us. Looking back, it was a real full-on pity party. Because we were sheep who'd lost our shepherd and we were feeling it. I'm not sure when a stranger joined us, but he did. Because I didn't hear him approach. But I just became aware that there were three of us walking together, when previously there'd been two. Wasn't startled. Because weirdly, it felt natural to be walking with this guy. Cleopas seemed pretty chill about it too, so we just sort of carried on chatting as if he wasn't there. Uh, apparently three is not always a crowd. And he said to us, what are you discussing? As you walk along. And we stood there looking sad, and then Cleopas answered him angrily, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these last days? It, it probably came out a bit strong, but our world had come crashing down the day before, so it was all still very rural for us. And he asked us, well, what, what things? We replied, well, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. No one had ever spoken God's truth like him before. He had this ability to teach God's law in love. And who else does that? We told him how our chief priests and our leaders had handed him over to the Romans to be condemned to death and crucified. And we'd all seen crucifixions and it was a pretty revolting way to die. But we'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, the Messiah, the Christ, who would usher in the day of the Lord and the new golden age that was to come. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since all this went down. But then some of our women astounded us. They were at his tomb early in the morning. They did not find his body there. They came back, told us they'd indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see him. Hard to know what's really going on, to be honest. Quite puzzling. Then he said to us, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. 
Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to us all the things about Jesus in the scriptures. Looking back, it was odd that it didn't offend me to be told that I was a fool, especially by someone I didn't know. I didn't feel rebuked so much as being fed by the truth. This stranger had a low-key confidence in everything he said. He could really teach. It was quite an education he gave us in those two hours on the road that day. You guys probably have a clarity that you take for granted, but in our spiritual upbringing, hazy the future was. See, there were these prophecies in the Old Testament about a prophet who would come and turn the world upside down. There was prophecies of a son of David who would sit on David's throne. There was prophecies of the Messiah of God, possibly the same person as the son of David, the son of man in Daniel's vision of the day of the Lord. And there was also Isaiah's suffering servant. And the rabbis weren't quite sure where that person fitted in. And these stray comments in the Psalms about how God's faithful servant would suffer. And what the stranger taught us was that all these images were in fact pointing towards Jesus. Individually they were strands which when added together and twisted became a rope. Different pictures describing the same person, Jesus. One of the scriptures that he talked about that's really stuck with me is this one from Isaiah 53. Have you heard it? Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. This is true. Like all of us, Jesus was a scruffy peasant with bad skin. He was no oil painting. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of sorrows and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him of no account. He didn't have an easy life. And it was clear that yes, the leaders of our community, they really did despise him. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. Yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the punishment that made us whole. And by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And I think at that point, the penny started to drop for me. His suffering was not some just pointless, random act of violence, but in some mysterious way, he had carried my sins and the sins of everyone else on that cross last Friday. And we would all be better for it. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yep. 
Yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. Though he'd done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Jesus' death was a perversion of justice because he was the best of men. He didn't deserve to die a shameful death on a tree outside the city. And he died alongside a couple of thieves. He made a grave with the wicked and was apparently buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And Joseph is a very rich man. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him the will of the Lord shall prosper. This was huge for me. It was all part of the Father's plan that Jesus would suffer and die in this way. He'd sort of told us this many times, but it just didn't make any sense when he said it. So it just kind of brushed off my shoulder. And I think all of us. But now I'm starting to understand. Out of his anguish he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall make many righteous. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will lot him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The stranger was right. God's Messiah Jesus had to suffer first before he entered his glory. It was here. And this little ray of light broke into the gloom that Cleopas and I had experienced and hope was just relit. little bit, but it was enough. Now we came near to Emmaus and the stranger kept walking on as if he was not going to stop. And we urged him, we said, look, stay with us. It's almost evening. The day is almost over. So he came in with us and we begged him to stay as we needed to talk through what he taught us. You see, mother's milk for us at synagogue school was that when the day of the Lord arrived, when judgment came, when the Messiah came, everyone was going to be resurrected from the dead and judged. We had never imagined that just Messiah, just one person, would be resurrected and everyone else sometime off in the future. We, including our rabbis and teachers, had somehow sort of missed it. Cleopas and I had grasped this amazing new truth, and I, I needed to pick this guy's brain some more because it was like adopting a whole world, new worldview. I had to sort of line up everything I'd previously thought and see how it fitted and see how it all made sense. It's doing my head in a bit, to be honest. When he was at the table with us, he took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to us. And then our eyes were opened, 
and we recognized him. And blow me down, he vanished from sight. It was Jesus. Looking back, of course it was. And Cleopas and I sat there looking at each other silently. And he said, look, do you think this is just wishful thinking? That, you know, we wanted the master to be alive, not dead, and here he is alive. But as we chatted, we realized that actually the voice that we had been hearing was Jesus' voice, unpacking the scriptures, leading us into the truth. Our hearts had burned within us as he spoke. It was a profound experience, much like the first time that we had heard the Sermon on the Mount really hit us here. Also, Cleopas told me about his grandfather who died. And his nana was always seeing his face in the shadows of the doorway or in a pile of leaves or in a cloud. She saw him everywhere. But we only recognised Jesus when we had table fellowship with him, when he broke bread. We hadn't been looking for him. We were looking to move on with our lives without him. And we'd been in his company for some hours before we realised it was him. And we both recognised him at the same time. He revealed himself to us. It wasn't something from us, it was from him. Well, straight away we got up and we took off back to Jerusalem as fast as we could. And approaching midnight, it's been a long day, we found the eleven apostles and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he's appeared to Simon Peter. We told what happened on the road and how Jesus had been made known to us in the breaking of the bread. Okay. This is a, an embellished version of the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus that's in Luke 24. There have been some startling um, manuscript discoveries in Wigram recently that I've drawn on to give some more of the detail. I slipped into God's kingdom um, in 1985 as a 19-year-old lost boy. Ever since then, I have watched the heavy traffic on the road to Emmaus as folk who have journeyed with God's people have lost hope, left us and him behind. I remember Jane at 24, who described her conversion to me as if, she said, as, it was as, as if scales had fallen from her eyes. Yet her conversion was from Christian to agnostic. She's made a life without the Lord. I remember Alice at 22, who could not find a suitable Christian husband, cast her net more widely and was soon married. Didn't go well, but eventually she found another partner. I remember Bruce the evangelist at 20, who gave up his faith for a pretty blonde. He disappeared never to be seen again. Not the only one. These three made their choices, which is their prerogative, and that needs to be respected. But I mourn for them. And I imagine if you've been around the Christian world for a while, you'll have your list too. Then there are those that we've mistreated. For example, the battered women told to forgive and return to an abusive husband. The divorced who didn't feel very welcome here 
back in the day. And now the gay or those with gender dysphoria who don't feel welcome now. I think there's a lesson for us that we should listen more and pontificate less and maybe less people would hit the road. I think it's a real challenge to be a people of both grace and truth who worship in this place and journey through life together under the lordship of Jesus. However, that is our call in the power of the Spirit. It's the mission of the local church. And for me, well, I would rather err on the side of grace than on being right. If above all else we can be kind to each other and the folk that we connect with in our Monday to Saturday lives, that is God's way. Who is God laying on your heart to pray for and get alongside in your world? Might be someone grieving, someone lonely or a bit lost who could do with a bit of your time. Story to finish. As many of you know, there's a number of counsellors who work out of this building who aren't associated with the church. And there was a guy waiting to see one of them about a week ago. And so I made him a cup of tea, and we got chatting. And he says to me, so what do you do around here? And I said, I'm the minister. And he said, really? Gosh, I wouldn't have have thought that. I I get a lot of that. (laughs) I get it. But for the next half hour, we chatted about God, his marriage, and some of the challenges that he and his wife were facing that was bringing him into a counsellor. Really opened up. Now, I didn't try to sort him out. I just listened and chatted. I had a lot of other things to do that day, but I'm glad I gave him the time. And because of that, just in a one small way, he knows that he matters to God and he matters to God's people. Have your radar out. Be looking. There'll be people in your life like that fella, and you may only meet them once, but God will have brought them across your path for a purpose. Thank you for listening so patiently. Musicians, can you um, come up? And we've got one last song.